Welcome to Spark Creators, a podcast that empowers kids to learn, create, and become. This podcast invites creators and entrepreneurs from all over to share their stories and ideas. We believe every kid is creative. It's just a matter of taking that first step and starting now. We hope this podcast can inspire you to create something that makes a difference in the world. If you want to stay inspired, remember to subscribe. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. Or visit us at peachandplumlab.com slash podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Spot Creators. I'm your host, Lee Zen. Today, it is wonderful to have Brad Shirky, a author, an author, speaker, and educator. He is also a faculty at Singular University, right? Absolutely. Good to be here. So, hey, Brett, welcome. <laughs> welcome to Spot Creators. Definitely, thank you so much for your time. And can you first introduce yourself to everyone? Tell us a little more about yourself. Absolutely. So, like you said, uh, my name is Brett Schilke. I'm a, I'm a researcher, an educator, and an author. I focus on building tools that help our next generation really thrive in the future. So um, to share a little about my, my work, really, it's, it's focused on how we as a society are able to adapt through periods of change. Um, I started out kind of on this journey looking through the lens of psychology. My thesis research was actually focused on you know, how shifts in government and society change the way that our minds work. And then I, I kind of went from there. And now I've thought about this question as, uh, as the head of a development NGO working in Russia, as a startup CEO working in the education space. Um, now I work a lot with Singularity University. I'm on the faculty there. And I lead an experimental education lab that really focuses on pulling all of these things together to build new types of resources for the global K-12 education system. Definitely, yeah, which is great to hear. Our whole series yeah, for this um, episode, like for this whole series of podcasts is called Critical Skills for Young Creators and Entrepreneurs. Yeah, so uh, when I was researching about design thinking and problem solving, definitely your name, you know, pop out. And, and I thought, wow, like you are the perfect person to talk to because you're not only in the fields, um, but also your whole fo- focus is to educate the next generation of leaders and, you know, entrepreneurs and innovators yeah, yeah which is great to hear yeah absolutely so um definitely you just told us a little bit that your educational background actually uh, was in psychology and then you started getting to this researcher and author and educator's role definitely so you have done a lot of um work through your website i saw that your uh, initiative like you have done like was not only in the u.s like actually across the globe like in all you know, kinds of countries and places. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Like, what else did you do before you joined Singular University? Yeah, absolutely. So, really, my my work kind of started uh, in Russia. So, I, I've been based in the United States my my whole life, but um, my my first job was actually leading a development NGO that worked in Siberia. And I spent uh, almost 12 years with that organization. And for the the later portion of that time, I was I was leading the organization, and we had really made a shift into education as kind of the focus of our work and our projects in the country. We did a lot of things between the two countries, and it gave me this opportunity to really start seeing uh, pretty 
intimately the education systems of two very, very large countries on our earth. And, and not just to see those systems, but also to see the opportunities that we had to bring communities together around learning. And when, when I left that organization, I, I came back to the States and I actually started an education development company with a couple of friends. We were based in Wisconsin and in Chicago at the time. And we really started looking at how we could bring those lessons from years of community development and, and civil society development and pair them with some of these tools that were kind of being ignored. Uh, most importantly, the, the rising, you know, technology tools that we really had. And when we started that company, we, we asked ourselves how we could begin to build resources that brought together technology and social impact, but actually met educational goals that we had for our schools and our kids. And uh, as you mentioned, the, the largest project that we started as an organization was called the City X Project. And it was the, the world's first comprehensive curriculum that taught not only design thinking and engineering skills, uh, but did that in the context of literacy and 21st century skill development. And that curriculum has now been used in over 75 countries. Uh, it was used for a short time nationwide in China. And, and today it's actually the, the basis of the book that I have coming out. So you know, we, we were able to really make a pretty big footprint from, from these projects. And I think what was so remarkable to us was that, you know, in, in the United States, we actually face a lot of challenges in innovating in our education system because of the many, many layers that we have in that system. And we found a lot more interest and a lot more traction for these ideas outside of the United States. You know, what's interesting, though, like when, when I was like researching education related initiatives and something I came from China. So something I saw from China, a company called Youth MBA. Actually, they are adopting um, yeah, City X project, and I was looking into that, and, and that's where I actually first found a City X project. And then, you know, like the connection, yeah, came back, and and finally get to the founder and who actually built the City X project, which is really cool. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, they're they're one of our our best licensees. They do fantastic work, and they've used the curriculum for years. Yeah. Definitely, yeah, definitely, because they actually work with schools in different districts and cities, and they, so they can actually uh, use some, I guess educational official power to put this project into the you know like the system which is really great um yes. yeah and and i saw your footprint actually is not only like um I, I mean in the beginning like you have done a lot of ngo related work and including the initiative that you put like when i click click into the links a lot of them are dot org which means they are non-profit organizations right and uh, creating social impact and educating the next generation seems very important to you so can you tell us a little bit about like um, what is all behind that drive, you know, like wanting to create something beyond um, like say self, you know, success or achievement and create a social impact that can uh, generate, you know, in, like basically impact for next generation. Like this is something I think a lot of people probably have not thought about, you know, uh, so maybe it's related to some of your background or how you you know, like, so I always like to ask our um, guest, I say, what do you really believe in, in your life and career? And something must drive you to do something like this, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think um, that, that, that part of the question is interesting, asking what it is I believe in, in my life and career. And what comes to mind for me is that Many, many times I've been asked a question similar to this, or somebody will say, how did you manage to do that? Or how did you get to this place? And I, I've always had the same answer to the question. I, I've always said, I told the truth 
and I just said yes. Those are my rules. And it, it seems so simple, but I, I really believe that we can do pretty well in life if we ask enough questions, we take enough risks, and we let ourselves be vulnerable with other people. And I think that that, that, uh, that rule, if you will, for the way that I try to do things is also connected to why I focus my work on working with kids and working with our next generation. When we think about those three things, asking questions, taking risks, and letting ourselves be vulnerable, our kids are the ones that are actually the best at doing that. And they're, they're able to accomplish and create and imagine in a completely different way because of that. Um, I actually do a lot of work with adults as well. Uh, I work with some of the largest corporations on earth, working with innovation teams and and, and executives. But um, I always find it the most rewarding to to be with a group of kids or in a school because that ability to think big and dream and have fun and I guess proceed without fear is so much more ingrained in them. Definitely. And it's always very inspirational to see at their age, what they can do, you know, using some of the method and things that you teach. And it's just incredible. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. So uh, since our podcast, you know, it's kind of related to uh, like for kids and parents. And so do you think you had impact from your parents who educated you to be this way or, you know, like any experience in the past that made you um, to become who you are today? Of course. Uh, I think you know, our parents are the most influential people in our lives when we are young and also when we are older. And I think that with my parents in particular, they, they had a big role in setting, I think, setting the tone of how I saw myself and how I saw the things that I could do in the world. Um, they were always sure to tell me about the things that kind of I needed to do right? To be successful in the eyes of my school or to do those things that were a little more social expectations. But within that, they really gave me a lot of freedom to explore different things and try to figure out what it was that really worked for me and was interesting to me. Um, I, I think I'd also add, though, that even as I get older, they've continued to have that influence on me, um, where we're now they're also helping me kind of take a step back and really think about the messages that we send our kids about what is really most important in life and what it is that falls into success, what we might think it is when we're younger versus what it is when we're older. So that influence they've had on me has evolved a lot and actually informs my work quite a bit, I think. So uh, today, our conversation, I wanted to talk like maybe in two parts. One is about this design thinking and problem solving, you know, path. And the other one is definitely related to your book. Yeah. And also we can talk a little more like in depth about the City X project. So um, yeah, in terms of the design thinking and problem solving, especially educating um, youth and also adults. And how did you get into this field? Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit background about that? Uh, really getting into the field came from that experience I had working in Russia with the NGO and being able to have such interaction with, uh, you, know, you know, probably over those years with hundreds of schools uh, in two different countries and thousands of kids and just really get to see those opportunities 
kind of be highlighted. And, and from there, it's one of those journeys that only makes sense in hindsight, uh, in terms of how it all, how it all connected. But I, I think that what I've landed on today really around how we, it doesn't necessarily how we educate. Um, it's how we build systems that, that help us learn better. Yeah, and I think that's an important distinction. Education is about me bestowing something on you, and learning is about me finding something from the world around me. And I think it's that that focus that learning is a process we can always improve. It's a process we can always perfect, um, and and that's kind of where where my energy goes right now. Definitely, yeah, and especially with today's technology supporting all kinds of way of learning, and there's always way to improve. You know the way how we learn and. And do stuff, yeah. So uh, you are a faculty at Singular University, and yeah, what what exactly do you do there? So uh, I've worked with Singularity University for a number of years now. Uh, I at first actually they were a client of mine with my previous company. I did some work with them developing programs. Then I was on their staff actually for for four years as their director of impact. So I worked globally across our entire ecosystem to to actually build resources for people in general to to implement what they were learning in their communities and bring about change. And, and now most recently I'm serving on the faculty uh, for the future of learning. So I, I focus specifically on how how we can help you know, change the K-12 system, change the way we learn, change the way we teach. And what I do with them primarily is uh, participate in programs, working with our community around the world. So doing a lot of speaking and workshops and, and interactive programs of that sort to to help people think about what learning really means. A lot of that is with uh, with schools. A lot of it is also with corporations because the the same things that we teach to our kids, we can often use to, to teach ourselves and to change the way that our organizations function. And for a lot of audience probably haven't heard about Singular University, do you mind give us a little introduction? Yeah. Because when I was researching the website, I saw they have a lot of ventures, you know, like even investment projects going on. Yes. Like besides teaching and hundreds of faculties and yeah, just tell us a little more about that. Yeah, so Singularity University is a really interesting organization. Um, it's this global community of hundreds of thousands of people that are, are really focused on how we can use technology to bring about change in the world. Um, we talk a lot about our global grand challenges, which are just some of the biggest challenges facing humanity, and, and how we as individuals, as corporations, as governments, whoever we are, can find our own path to making impact on them. And it's not it's not a humanitarian thing. It's not about you know, charity or typical NGO type activity. It's how can we do this in the course of what we already do? How can we do this while we are being a successful business? How can we do this while we are being a government that is responsible and effective? And we, we can do that in a way that makes money. We can do that in a way that uh, makes our society stronger. And it's not about taking resources away from them. So a lot of the work that we do is focused on, uh, for example, corporate innovation strategy. Uh, we do a lot of work with governments. We do have a, a startup portfolio of dozens of companies all around the world who are really exemplifying that type of work about applying technology to to these global grand challenges. Uh, we even have uh, a program that, that was launched for high schools uh, to, to deliver a curriculum that taught the future. So it's kind of anyone anywhere can be part of that community to just really learn what it is in our world today that's different that can help us power a better future. Got it. So it's basically 
uh, gathering a lot of people and resources together to this one place and uh, create positive social impact through a lot of the things people are already doing, but just reconsider or just see it in a different way and utilizing the resources you guys also provide, yeah, for them too. Yeah, I think that's a great way of putting it. Uh, that 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 word sing or sorry, the word university is something that people always ask about, and yeah, and I, I I always say that it's not a university in the traditional academic sense of the word. It's it's more like in the kind of like ancient Greek sense of the word, right? That it's this place where we convene people and minds, and we give them resources and a place to have the conversations that are going to move our world forward, and and it's it's a, a pretty powerful group of people, truly. Yeah, because right now, like universities, from like you know everybody's perspective, understanding it seems like it's a only place to learn to get your college degrees. But in reality, it's not. Yeah, I mean, like in this sense, right? Yeah, in this um, context, yeah. So in terms of design thinking, I know that this came from uh, the creative agency Ideal, and also D School has this um, you know design thinking process where. Um, all the way from the beginning of ideation, you know, to the end, like a uh, prototyping, and there's a set of process, you know, that's involved. And can you tell us a little more about the process of design thinking? And also, uh, did you actually get trained, you know, through some organizations like D School and Ideal uh, through their course, and so that you you can, you know, you, you wanted to teach and you believe in the process, so that you know can create. Um, positive impact for anybody who wanted to learn such thing. Yeah, of course. So design thinking itself, um, frankly, isn't anything particularly special, right? In the sense that it's it's just a very natural way for humans to solve problems. Um, it It's a process of empathizing, defining the challenge you're going to solve, thinking big and thinking carefully to come up with crazy ideas that might be able to solve it, testing them, getting feedback, and ultimately sharing them with other people. And when you really look at the basics of that that methodology, it, it's not rocket science. It's not something remarkable even. It's just, well, of course, that's how we solve problems. And if you look back over history, the same thing has been popularized dozens of times with different names, with different people behind it, with different organizations championing what it is and what it means. So in the most recent version of this type of problem solving, you're exactly right. We hear a lot about IDEO and a lot about uh, the Stanford D School being behind it. Um, but there are, are dozens of practitioners and dozens of organizations out there that are using design thinking in different ways and, and are using the design process to, to create solutions. That's something that I think is always central to the idea for me when I work with this with kids is that all this is is a really powerful way of solving problems. And it's actually more about unlearning than it is about learning something new because the education systems and the social structures we've built around us and especially around our kids have been developed in a way that tell them that there's a right way or a wrong way, that there's a right answer or a wrong answer. And central to the idea of design thinking is actually that that's not true, that we can keep trying things and improving things and building upon things until we get to that place. And that final solution is never actually the final solution. We can always make it better and always build on it. And that's a, a significant shift in mindset for, for adults or for kids. So, you know, 
Can it be taught? Of course it can be taught, but I think what we actually need to teach first is, is that that mindset we've instilled previously is something that isn't actually serving us that well. And if we tap into our kind of natural curiosities and natural inclinations as, as humans, we, we will find that design thinking is something that feels good and feels pretty easy once we really get into it. And it's more about making it a practice than about becoming an expert. Definitely. You know, when I heard about design thinking, it was when I was around in college. Yeah. And I actually participated in D-School, one of their cross-culture program, um, try to like uh, collaborate with their the students to solve one of the problems they give us as to. Yeah. And it was actually pretty um, mind-blowing for me because I came from an art um, and design background, you know, like really creative ways of thinking. And in my school, when I was in China, like we were taught really to think conceptually about many things. So there's not a specific process you kind of wanted to follow. Otherwise, you know, you are being too rational yeah, in a way. So when I hear this process of design thinking, and for those who haven't heard of it, and Brett also men- mentioned it a little bit, and it has several process, you know, like em- empathi- empathizing yeah, and defining the problem, ideation, come up with um, solutions, you brainstorm, and then you can test those ideas, and then you can prototype the ideas, and then in the end, you can share, right, with the, the public, yeah. So, I thought it was very, you know, eye-opening to go through such a process that has a rational type of um, way to evaluate your creative ideas. Yeah, I think which is really cool. Yeah, and I also knew that a lot of educators who try to adopt this design thinking um, for kids, as sometimes you know, simplify it in a way. I knew. One organization, I forgot the name, but then they were trying to do something, say, tell the kids, oh, you just need to think, do, and share. So those are the three steps that you do, you know, like um, when it comes to um, applying design thinking to for kids. So in the process, like especially after you have been teaching to many um, like young generations and also adults and also seeing results from it, do you consider one or two of the steps very critical um, that even for young, you know, like uh, kids at the age, like, like you know, like very young age that they can start practicing, utilizing this kind of thinking, design thinking in their daily life so that in the future they can be, you know, very natural when it comes to solving problems, yeah, anything around them. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that, you know, in all of these different variations, you're right. They can be simplified. They can be a little bit more complex, uh, but often they they boil down to those same steps, the ones that you just outlined. Um, what what I've found though is very rare in these problem solving methodologies is including an opportunity at the beginning for self reflection, where we we typically see just empathy being the first thing about understand your user, understand what they need. Um, Every time I use a design process, I always add something at the beginning that's really focused on I, that's focused on me, that's focused on the person doing the work. Because no matter what the issue is, no matter what the problem is you're trying to solve, I think being able to understand how you truly relate to it is really helpful. It goes back to what we said at the beginning, where where I said that that ability to be vulnerable with others is so important. And, And I think that that's something really critical to teach to kids or to adults when they're doing this type of problem solving. 
We often come in as sort of the savior with this idea that we're going to create an amazing problem or an amazing solution that can solve a problem without ever really thinking about what it means to us or what role it has in our lives. So as an example, um, in, in, in the book that I, that I have coming out, the, the first stage of every single one of the activities is self-exploration. It's about seeing what a problem looks like in your own community. It's about seeing, you know, really like digging into your, your memories and your emotions and your feelings to remember what it was like sometime that you experienced a challenge or talking to family members to see what it means for your family. And I, I think that is something that sets kids up to be much better problem solvers 5, 10, 15, 20 years in the future because they'll have a much better muscle of connecting to the world around them. Definitely, yeah. This reminded me of a scholar that I interviewed in the same series who talked about critical thinking. And he said critical thinking is something that you think about your own think, thus you wanted to improve your think, you know, like through a variety of ways. Yeah. So I think this definitely has a lot, you know, like relation to who you are and uh, how you think and how you solve problem on, yeah, on your own. That's, that's very interesting that, you know, it's, it's kind of connected. Yeah. So now let's talk a little bit about your book. So first, maybe let's talk about where this you know, book originated from. It is the City X Project. So tell us uh, all about City X Project. Absolutely. So the City X Project was the, the largest initiative of the company that, that I had founded several years ago. And that's the curriculum that is now in use all over the world and on every continent and thousands of schools. And the the book actually has grown out of that. So we we built this curriculum that teaches design thinking, that teaches creative problem solving, digital literacy, 21st century skills. Uh, it was released into the world in 2014 and has, has kind of spread on its own since then. And uh, this past year, uh, Rockport Publishers, uh, a publisher here in the United States, uh, approached me about turning that into something new and bigger and different uh, that could really be the basis of a new uh, a new children's series that they're releasing. So the, the series is called Design Genius Junior, and it's all about taking these different lessons and tenets of design and turning them into practical applications for kids. So the, the book is... Um, it, it, it's grown from the story of City X, which is that humans have left Earth and are settling a new planet deep in space. And their first city, called City X, is kind of where it all takes place. The, the citizens of City X are facing a bunch of different challenges, a lot like the challenges we have here on Earth. Uh, challenges of communication, transportation, energy, environment, things like that. And, and they are asking the young designers of Earth to, to solve their challenges, to come up with inventions and solutions and creative ways to, to get around their problems. So uh, in, in the book, in this kind of refreshed new version, the, the mayor of City X has created an agency called the Irresistible Futures Agency. And it's an elite group of engineers, uh, intergalactic engineering agency, we call it, that is charged with creating a future that works for everyone. And the the kids that are using this book and and reading it are becoming the official engineers of this of this new agency as they collect skills and and perfect their abilities as designers of solutions. So the the book takes kids through seven different issues that are very you know, big, prominent global issues. Um, helps them think about them critically from multiple perspectives and. 
and of course, like I mentioned, really reflect on them and what they mean in your own life. And then the kids are actually, they go through 35 hands-on activities to understand and ultimately design solutions to these, these big global issues. So inside of this you know, inside of this book, there there are not only the 35 lessons, but there are a bunch of case studies that look at real world innovation and some of the like tips and tricks of engineering and problem solving. Um, there are opportunities to get out into your community and connect with with issues that you see locally. There are lessons in diversity and inclusion, thinking about uh, differently abled people, thinking about people of different ages and cultural backgrounds, about language and all of these different things that we actually really face today in a multicultural connected world. So the idea is that these kids can go through a story about something, you know, off of earth, right? About uh, this other world that they have an ability to craft. And at the same time, what they're really learning is the skills to succeed in the world that we're in right now, the skills to really imagine what a future is that that we want to be living in, because ultimately they'll be the ones that are able to design it. So it teaches design thinking, engineering, STEM, all of these lovely things, but packaged in a really fun story about the future. And when I looked at, you know, CDX project, I just thought the idea is ingenious because it not only, um, you know, like for kids, especially inspires them to be imaginative, you know, like a new planet and it's fun. It's like something brand new for you to create. So you don't have to follow any rules if you don't want to. And at the same time, you um, brought in all the big like issues that we have currently in our world so that um, no matter what direction the kid choose to go and they have a really deep path they can go into, you know, when it comes to communication, when it comes to like people, like transportation and all these are huge world issues. Yeah. And I think not only like kids imagination can contribute to that, but also at the same time, like it's, it's really, um, you know, it's inspirational for kids to think such big problems and out of the box that, you know, how maybe adults usually solve this kind of problem. So based on that, I, I usually have like two questions. I have two questions for you. One is that how did you guys ever come up with the idea with CityX? Like, did you ever imagine it to be such a big scope, you know, in the beginning? Oh, my gosh, the globe, like 75 countries will be involved and, and everything. And second question is... um. How did you guys init- you know like push this project out uh, one by one to different schools to different countries to different continents in order to achieve this level of impact? Great questions. Um, the first question I think we did not expect it to have that kind of a scale. Uh, it's still so exciting to me when I open my email and I have a message from somebody in another country where it's never been used saying, oh, we're having so much fun with this. And they're sending pictures of their kids doing the workshop. And and no, we didn't we didn't think that would happen, but it's, it's the best outcome we could have hoped for. It's just been so exciting to see it grow. Um, but the intention was for it to be something that could have a life of its own. We released it as an open education resource for free to the world. And we wanted to see it be picked up and used in so many different ways. So we've had, we've had teachers who have turned that three-day workshop into a year-long experience for their kids, into full curriculum. We've had it used in summer camps. We've had it used just in, in, in so many different ways. And it's been really, really exciting to to kind of see that grow. Um, and I'm sorry, I already forgot the second half of your question. Can you remind me? 
Yeah, the second half of the questions is like, how did you guys reach out to people and to push this initiative to be a global impact? One of the things that we did that I think was really important was we we built it in a way that was intended to create something globally relevant. I think too often the type of products and solutions we see in education are focused on one country. Often that's the United States, but it can be anywhere, wherever the the founders came from, frankly. And we wanted to build something a little different. So when we actually built that course, when we were doing the development of it, um, we spent time in in over 17 different places in the world. We we tested that curriculum with kids in Chicago. We tested that curriculum with kids in a children's home in the mountains of Lebanon. We tested it on the tundra in Alaska in a tiny village with 300 people and no roads and no cars. We had it run in in a dozen languages in every possible context we could imagine. And the reason for that was that we wanted something that just we knew would work wherever it was brought. And every time we did that, we changed things. We learned from it. We adapted. We employed design thinking ourselves, right? Thinking about how we could really create a better product. So I think that made a difference. I, I don't know if I would say that's the thing that made people pick it up around the world, but we just wanted everyone to be able to open that uh, course and see themselves in it. So that's you know why our, our citizens, we have citizens from City X, they represent the, the most populous uh, ethnic groups on earth. Their names are the most common names from seven different languages. The, the way that they're depicted shows variations in, in religion, in culture, in, in all these different things, in age, in race, like I, I mentioned, uh, gender. Just we want to see, we want everyone to believe that City X isn't an imaginary city on another planet. It could be your city. It could be the place you're sitting. It's this placeholder for humanity to come together and just dream about the future. That was kind of the big crazy idea in it. Definitely, yeah. And through all the years of practice and including the impact you guys created, you probably have seen like really great imagination and also outcomes from it. And the book, it, your book is called Adventures in Engineering for Kids, 35 Challenges to Design the Future, Journey to X City X, Without Limits, What Can Kids Create? So this question will come back to you, Without Limits, What Could Kids Create? Um, can you tell us maybe some examples of kids creation that you have seen that it had, you know, like really impressed you with? Absolutely. The real question should be without limits, how long can your book title be? (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Um, so the, the question without limits, what can kids create? I think is, is really important. It's, it's, it's about, um, the distinction actually between limits and constraints in my mind. Limits are the things that we tell people they, they can't do. Uh, constraints are, are kind of the boundaries we give people to play inside of. And limits are what we're trying to eliminate here. Limits are the things we want to remove. We want kids to be able to think big and imaginatively and, and, and think that they themselves can be whatever they want to be and build whatever they want to build. But we, we actually give them constraints because constraints are what breed creativity. When we give people constraints to think about the resources they have available or the, the people they have to solve for, whatever that might be, it not only builds a more powerful story, but it gives somebody things to, you know, it's something to sink your teeth into and really think about how you could solve it. 
So when when I think about some of these examples, you know, some of the stories are told in the book uh, of innovators we had who were eight or nine years old and really made incredible things. Um, my favorite story is in there, but I won't ruin it by sharing it here. So, you know, find it in the book. But um, what, what I found was so interesting was when we had a situation where a kid was able to create and participate in a way that their teacher or parent never thought they could. So I'll, I'll give an example that in one classroom, we, we had a student who, who actually had um, uh, neurological damage from an incident when he was a child. And his teacher had told us this in advance and, and said, just so you know, he might not be able to participate in the way that we're hoping he participates. And in the end of this of these three days we spent with the teacher's class, he was one of the highest performing students in the course of this experience. And the the solution that he created for for City X was this incredible idea. Um, I wouldn't say it was rooted in reality. That's not the point. It was very creative and sort of outlandish, but it showed a remarkable depth of thought around systems thinking and how all of the challenges were interrelated. And ultimately, he actually solved a challenge that was also applicable to two or three others and connected to kids around him. We, we did 3D modeling in that class to actually have the kids build 3D v- versions of their model. His was done the fastest. It was done with the best accuracy. And what the teacher learned in that process was that those limits being imposed by her classroom weren't serving him because there was a part of his brain that was actually far more functional than they had imagined, even if another part happened to have been damaged when he was young. So I think it was those moments where we could have these kind of magical opportunities for kids to express themselves in a different way, uh, whether an example like that where it's something biological um, or or we also had a girl in another class who is a recent immigrant to the United States and didn't speak English. And her classmates would make fun of her and said that she was stupid because she didn't talk in class. And it, it just turned out that she and I actually shared a common language. I, I, I speak Russian and she had immigrated from Ukraine and we both spoke Russian. So I translated the workshop to her and we, we talked through the whole thing and I helped her participate. And I translated for her at the end the, the solution that she had come up with when she presented to the class. And you could just see these kids and their jaws were kind of on the floor. And and, and they're like, we didn't know she could do this. So I, I think you know, just, just seeing, seeing kids create things is always fun. The ideas kids come up with are are lovely. They make us smile. They make us hope our future can look like that. They make us believe that they're brilliant. All of that happens in, in a lot of different types of experiences with kids. What has always been so powerful for me in these in this curriculum and, and what I'm hoping will happen from the book is those opportunities for a kid, a parent, and a teacher to realize that there is an intelligence and a potential and a skill set that they never actually knew they had before that might completely change the course of their life. That would be my my dream, really, from each of them. Yeah. So it's not only this kind of life-changing experience, potentially in the future waiting for us from the kid's imagination, but 
also the life-changing experience they are experiencing right now like that yeah. after they gone have gone through the workshop like after they read the book and started applying this thinking that they found out some potential things that they would never imagine them doing yeah and just like the two examples you told me like it's totally like life-changing experience for those two students yeah and which is wonderful to hear and i think there might be you know a lot out there like in all different countries and, and everything so now the book will come out um may this year 2020 right so tell yep, us that's right yeah tell us a little more in detail like um when is the release date where can people get them what is the website people can visit you know to to get them and who as opposed to by like teachers parents or kids or organizations yeah Absolutely. So um, the book is, is available anywhere you like to buy books. Um, it's uh, it's on Amazon, of course, uh, as well as a number of other online booksellers. You can also buy it from local bookstores anywhere. Um, there's a link on my website that can actually take you to an ordering uh, portal to find it at your local stores. And your website? Uh, the website is com. That's just my first name and last name, com slash book. You can find the whole thing there. Um, and you can also just Google Journey to City X, uh, Adventures in Engineering for Kids, and you can find it online. Um, the release date right now is May 19th. That should be our, our delivery date. And, you know, it's, it's really for for anybody. I, I think parents and teachers are the ones who are most interested in the book right now, though, um, especially with summer coming up uh, in, in North America. We have a lot of parents who are starting to think about how they can continue their kids learning over the summer. Um, and the book is really designed to be an interactive learning experience that kids can do with with friends, with their parents, with anyone uh, to kind of explore and have fun at the same time, not just sit inside and look at a book, but get out in the world and see it and interact with it. So it's great for summer learning. Um, we also have schools that are purchasing it as kind of classroom sets to use in the classroom as basis for curriculum for the next year and to to introduce STEM and engineering and things like that into their classroom. So um, as I mentioned, you, you can buy it online, you can get it anywhere. Uh, if you're interested in classroom sets or bulk purchases for schools, um, we offer discounts on those as well. So you can always just reach out directly to me or to the publisher and we can help you kind of get set up with those. So you can you can find everything you need online right there, brettshilke.com slash book. Definitely. That's great. So my last question is for you to give out some suggestions for parents or teachers um, who wanted to teach their kids about design thinking or problem solving. Like say, besides buying your book, right? Going through all the challenges. Yeah. And, and what else can they do? And what is the best setting they can do, right? With practicing problem solving. Cool. Um, so there are so many resources you can use for this, um, and you can find tons of them for free online. Uh, Stanford actually has a really wonderful resource library of all of their K-12 design thinking resources. So it's part of their K-12 learning lab at Stanford, um, and all of those resources are online, and you can just kind of dig through those and download them. Um, the 
the the original curriculum that we created is also available for free. Anybody can download that from cityxproject.com. Um, so there really is a lot out there that you can just download and play with and kind of implement. Uh, but so, something else you had asked about, like the setting you want. Um, a lot of schools and parents will say like, well, they don't think they have the right technology to teach STEM or design thinking or engineering. And I actually believe that the best kind of space to do this is just a blank slate. If I could have an empty room with walls that kids could write on, that would be perfect. You don't need tools. You don't need anything special. All you need is some time with a kid and the ability to give them freedom to think and create and, and design. Um, I'll, I'll tell you something that we had done. Uh, I'm working on a project in India right now to design a new children's museum. And when we were doing the initial uh, research for this, we literally took an entire room uh, in a building completely wiped it blank. So the floors, the ceilings, the walls, everything was just blank and white. And we brought a group of kids in and said, make it fun. And we gave them two hours to just do whatever they wanted to do. They were building, they were kind of creating their own micro society. It was just the most remarkable thing I've ever seen. So just that kind of a simple activity is enough sometimes to get kids started on this path. And then you find the opportunities for learning inside of it. Maybe they want to build something new and you introduce, oh, why don't we uh, empathize and define our challenge? Or why don't we do a prototype first? And use the resources you have around, around you. So you don't need anything fancy. You don't need anything expensive. You really just need time and some openness to play. Definitely. And uh, something to add on, like emphasizing what you have mentioned earlier is that parents and kids can also um, encourage your kids, right? Do the three things you have mentioned. Ask good questions, like teach them how to ask questions and encourage them to always ask questions, right? Taking risks, even though something might you know, seem difficult or hard, and how can they take risks to accomplish and make things happen to solve that specific problem, right? And be vulnerable, right? And you yeah. mentioned that as well. Be vulnerable and whatever, how they feel and um, their experience and whatever, like they have connected, you know, with the problem and use that experience to help solving the problem can add, you know, extra like self-expression or even creativity onto the problem. Yeah. Absolutely. So yeah, definitely. And this is a wonderful resource and also great conversation. Thank you so much, Brad, yeah, for your time. And thank you. Yeah, really, really appreciate it. And I definitely um, would encourage everyone to go check out uh, your new book and it, also your project at cityxproject.com. And, mm -hmm. and if you wanted to check out all the other things that Brett is working on, like initiatives, you know, the education related um, works that he's been doing, and just go to his website, um, Brett. Shilke. Shilke, yeah, Brett Shilke. B R E T T S H I L K E dot com. Yeah, and you'll find all the links that we've been talking about, you know, all the amazing project he has done and uh, all the great great resources including the books and everything yeah you can link it from there so thank you so much for your time yeah and thank you so much what a pleasure great okay i will see you next time i'll keep you updated for the episodes yeah and take care thanks for listening to the spark creators podcast at peachandplumlab.com